0: Let me show you how it's
1: done. On today's episode of The Drops, we're talking to Tanail Cooper.
2: Hey, y'all. We're here talking to Tanil Cooper, who is a marketing leader with over eight years of experience. She emphasizes the importance of customer advocacy in her marketing strategy and is successful in increasing new channel growth and qualified leads through formalized brand campaigns and improved internal operations. Tanil blends... Analytical and cross-functional strategy, leveraging customer marketing as a lead acquisition channel and automating mundane tasks. Welcome to the podcast, Tanil. in the background.
0: I appreciate that warm welcome. Thank you so much for having me here.
2: Thank you. Thank you for joining. Answer this question about what you do. Like, how do you slay? Like what give us a, a bird's eye view of what do you do in your world and why is what you do important in the world of marketing or work or product and all of that. Let's start there, then we'll get into AI.
0: Cool, cool. Can definitely do that. So as you mentioned, I'm Tineo and I run a copywriting studio under the name She's Epic, the Jolt Entrepreneurs Need to the Marketing and Messaging. But I also help creator educators launch and grow their digital products by leveraging education and community at my day job. And I've been, at mar- I've been in marketing for the last eight years, focused primarily on brand and customer marketing. And what I've noticed, I found a thread in my journey in marketing that I usually graduate into new roles by chasing skills rather than titles. And I actually got into marketing because I found no matter how crappy a product may be, with the right messaging, And the right marketing behind it, you can sell water to a well. And I needed to cultivate that expertise. So that's one of the main reasons I got into marketing. Because before marketing, I was in social services. Completely opposite end of the spectrum.
2: I really wanted you to come on because we are in the age of generative AI. And B and I talk on this podcast a lot. One of the things that comes up is generative AI because I like it. And I made a bet on AI early on in my career as a product manager. I got into product by way of being an analyst. So I have a data background. And I remember at that time thinking like, where was my career going to go? And I remember thinking that machine learning was the next phase of data science and that I should get, I should at least understand it and that the future of that AI was going to play a really large role. We'd already seen it in personalization and ads and things like that. And so years ago, I'd made this bet that I should get very close or as close to AI as I possibly could so that I would understand when it was its time. And then that time happened for the general public. 2021 though ai has been around for quite some time since the 50s and machine learning has been around for some time this new thing of generative ai is now touching people in a way that ai even though we use it on our phones and we're interacting with it all of the time has not touched people in this way we're talking about how it's possibly disruptive or could potentially take people's jobs away. And so I wanted to talk to someone who comes from the space of where a lot of this angst is being aimed at, right. Or at least some of it and get that perspective and kind of just shoot the shit here from product people to marketing people kind of bridge this gap of our worlds and stuff like that, and get some perspective on what is AI or generative AI to you as a marketer. Do you still believe that, that you can sell water to a whale with the right words?
0: Yes. I see so many shitty products on the market sometimes and I'm like, how is this making money? How are people being bamboozled by this? And it's not until they start using the product and then they'll, you know, the backlash of it will come through like what people say online on social media, but like the initial stage, you can, if you do have the right messaging and the right audience, who's going to eat up that messaging.
2: There's a certain sense of romance in marketing that in the beginning, in this romance period, those who are looking to be swayed can be swayed by romantic marketing messages. 100%. So let's talk about AI. What's your interaction or experience with AI so far, thus far in your career in marketing? Or have you even interacted with it or used it in your social work as well?
0: I definitely do. In my last role, I was working in a landing page builder as a service company, and they had AI augmented into their landing pages. So I would write the copy and build out the landing page for them. So I was working with that. I've now switched roles helping Create Educators launch their courses or digital products online. And this company hasn't necessarily tapped into AI as much as I feel like they should, and it's something that I've tapped them on the shoulder about. But when I do talk to the creator Educators in the accelerator program that I manage, um, I do talk a lot about how I use AI to not start from a blank page because, as I mentioned, I am a copywriter. And so a lot of times starting from a blank page can be daunting. Uh, You have to pull from your reservoir, and sometimes you're tired. Sometimes you have other things on your brain or whatever the case may be. So I, I find using AI to start from some kind of notes. And I don't use it as my final. I use it as like a starting page because I still feel like the accuracy, even the writing, is not that well done. It's poor. Uh, They're making significant improvements uh, very quickly, I may add, Uh, but it still has a way to go.
2: Do you use any of the tools today? Is ChatGPT something you're using today as a marketer?
0: Definitely. It was like Jasper AI, some other startups that were trying to, you know, really Uh, tap into AI. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. But not until ChatGPT came on the market did, I was like, whoa, this blows all the other things out of the water.
1: Could you highlight for our our listeners a little bit of like what Jasper AI was and and specifically maybe one or two, like, you know, it's just, it's so, you know, different using chat GPT, just so they can understand the difference that in the level up Mm -hmm. the chat GPT is over other services.
0: I think the main difference is Jasper AI is a container. That's why I like to call it, you know, exactly how you can use it. Most of the prompts are already set up for you. So it's very easy for folks who don't really know how to use AI tools, but with open ai you can create your own prompts you can battle with it you can poke at it and tell it well no you didn't get this right i need to dig deeper uh, if you know what you're doing and a lot of folks may not know what's the right prompt to use in this tool and so they may get frustrated with frustrated with it because there isn't necessarily any regulations guidelines there's no guardrails rails right now eventually there will be uh, and i find as a creative That is helpful for me so that I can play around with it more. I can tinker with it. I like to do those things. But for someone who doesn't have the time or the capacity, they'll be more inclined to, you know, have Jasper AI because it does all the heavy lifting for you.
2: One of the things I would say about Jasper AI and all of those startups is they are all... sitting on top of GPT. They are GPT in a container. I like the way you said that, or, or ChatGPT in a container, that meaning uh, what was made public to us, ChatGPT was only made public to us in late 2022. But the API for GPT-3 was available to developers since 2020. And so Jasper is just one of those. I like to say it's like Canva to Photoshop. It's an easier way entry point into creating something that doesn't need you to be an expert in design. Whereas if you know what you're doing, you would prefer to go to Photoshop because you can manipulate it in ways like that. And that's what ChatGPT is. It does require a certain level of what we're calling prompt engineering. That is a skill now that, that people are learning how to become in order to manipulate Chat GPT into doing what it is that you want it to do. And for developers, they just make a one single use type of tool like Jasper for marketers that say... This contains uh, all of the use cases that you would use, and it's built directly or specifically for you. But um, uh, for those that are pretty savvy, a lot of them are bypassing the container type solutions and going straight to ChatGPT for its versatility. Okay. Here's another question. Is ChatGPT going to allow somebody to make $1,000 a day like I'm seeing on YouTube? Is this the new wave? Is this the new face? Uh, what was it? Amazon direct drop shipping was was the wave. Crypto was a wave. Is this the new wave where people could be making a thousand dollars a day?
0: It yeah, it is the new wave. Can we put a number on it? I'm not too sure yet because it really is based on what that person is bringing to the tool. It's it for me. It's less about the tool and more about the expertise that they're bringing to it. How are they leveraging it? They know how to leverage this tool. Yes, they can make that and more. If they don't know how to leverage it, then they're just going to think it's just another new gadget on the market. And, you know, know, it's just going to die out when it's not. It's not going to die out at all.
2: B, what do you think about that? This kind of idea that there are people who are using this as a get-rich-quick scheme. And this is their hustle. This is what they're peddling. Yeah.
1: So what's so funny to me is that every single day I log into LinkedIn now, there's usually a message from someone saying, here's 25 ways that you can, like, quickly create, you know, blah, 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 using, you know, ChatGPT. People, you still have to have an all-around strategy right just because you can make 25 youtube videos doesn't mean that you know a million people are going to look at those youtube videos because honestly if you're ain't right if you're A right you know you still got to deliver right and i think that's the thing that i think is so interesting about all of this because i do agree with Neil, just generally like this this even myself like i get roger's block like crazy like crazy 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 and chat gpt has been a game changer for me being able to like go in there throw some ideas in there and i'm like oh wait I knew that. Let me go ahead and write this down. Let me get this going. But I still have to execute every single time. And so I don't know that I think that it's a, in and of itself, it's a million dollar idea. I still think that you have to have someone behind it who's really going to be able to take the ball and actually score the touchdown at the end to ensure it really connects. And and they have to figure out how to target their audience and all this other stuff. And so it's going to be interesting. But do do I think that it's going to be a game changer where like people who maybe were running, aside each other and you know one person wasn't really better than the other one but that other person starts to learn how to really use this tool and these tools and takes it and takes the next steps to really become great i think that that person is going to kick the other person behind yeah i totally do i
2: agree i think it, i think one way to look at chat gpt is maybe the next millionaire will say they use chat gpt but chat gpt is not going to make anybody a millionaire. It's it's interesting. One I see the same things you see, B. And one of the most crazy things that makes me cringe. If I were whoops, the guy from Family Guy. Is that Peter? Like you know, what really grinds my gears? This, the one where ChatGPT is an is an idea generator.
1: Last night I was reading a, a, a little post from Chat because they actually like. There's a bunch of apps now. Like, it has, like, an app store, which everyone has an app store. Like, thank you, Apple, for giving everyone this idea. And so, you know, I was looking at some of these examples. Like, one was, like, actually, it was, like, Karna. It's, like, Discover Clothes. Like, I don't... I actually, I really want to... Like, it's, like, Discover What to Buy, but I was just, like, this is very interesting to me that that was an example of one of the first, like, apps that was actually there. And so, you know, the first thing I kind of came to in my head, though, is, is that so much of this deal, though, is... How do you even know what people want? And so when I think about ChatGPT, I think about it as like, it still doesn't solve for that key problem. Because you can write out a list. You can say, hey, ChatGPT, tell me what the next big thing is going to be. And it may be 100% right. But if the the, the next big thing when digital cameras are out, like Kodak made the first digital camera. Right. Kodak was like, hey, I think digital cameras are a great idea. And it did not work out very well. And now digital cameras are pervasive. Like you literally have it in your phone. And so I think the thing that I, I think that I really want to like point out here is it can't tell you the why, like why should the thing that you are interested in exist? And until you solve for that problem, you're always going to have problems with making this like monetizing and whatever chat GPT provides to you.
2: There's a gulf between an idea and execution. The one thing that grinds my gears is, is people saying, or or just the YouTube hustle community, here's how to quickly make 30 videos in 24 hours without even considering why would someone want to watch any one of those videos that you create in product strategy, the easier something becomes the lower, the barriers, the higher, the bar, this is like a public highway. Everyone has access to this at this point. And so, the idea that you're going to use it just unfettered and now have an edge that is where this fool's gold lies, right? Everyone has access to the same public highway, is how you use it that's going to be the difference. Let's go on this topic of whose job is it going to steal? Whose job is going away? This is why I want to talk to a marketer. This is you, between you and the artist community, you are at on the chopping block, apparently to not having a job tomorrow because of ChatGVT. And tell me how threatened you are about this possibility.
0: I don't feel threatened at all. Uh, And I think the main reason why I don't feel threatened is because I'm actually playing around with the tool. And I feel like people who are caught up in that, oh, you know, I may be in jeopardy. They're probably not playing around with the tool. They're probably not seeing what is available, what it can actually do before they make that decision that, you know, it's going to replace me. I don't think any bot can replace a human. So that's one thing. Um, AI lacks imagination. It lacks creativity. We are the creators of chat GPT. It has to model something, right? And so if we are the creators, then... we can create something even bigger than that. And I feel like the fear is people are basically taking out their brains and allowing ChatGPT to do all the thinking for them. And one of the reasons why we are their dominant species is because we have reasoning. We we think over other mammals on this earth. And if we allow a bot to start doing all the thinking for us, then yeah, it will take your job. And I feel sorry for you, but if you know how to leverage it and you use it like what it's made to do—a tool—then you'll be able to profit off it as well. Because if we're if we're looking at history, this is nothing new. Like computers, at one time, there was they said it would never be in every household. It's in every household. At one time, when the internet came out, they said it was a fad. Like this is going to disappear in the next couple of months and no one's going to use the internet. What's the internet? Like who goes on a computer to go and talk to a computer? Basically that's their, that was their chat GPT back then. And they thought that was a fad as well. Obviously it's not, it's, it's on every computer, it's on every phone, everybody uses it. And I feel like it's going to be the same thing with chat GPT or GPT as a whole, this open AI, eventually everybody's going to have the opportunity to use it how they want to use it. But right now it's just open. There is no specific container to it. And as we get more use cases of how different people are using it on their day-to-day in their profession, how they're leveraging it, we'll, we'll get more ideas. People will start using it the same way as well. And people will model what they see has been successful or hasn't been successful. So if you're, if you're paying attention, if you're playing around with it, you're not going to feel like you're in jeopardy, especially if you're always working on your skills, your, your soft skills, not only your hard skills, but your soft skills. People still need to talk to people. And there's still going to be a lot of people who have no idea how to use this tool. No idea. We're, we're in this tech space, so it's the big talk of the town. But if you talk to someone else who's outside of tech, like, what the hell is that? I don't know what that is. <laughs> like, they have no clue. <laughs>
2: To that point though, Tennille, are they at the most risk because they don't know what it is? I mean, it is a powerful tool and I don't want to be Mm -hmm. glib about it and say, this is just a toy. It is a very powerful tool. There is absolutely bad that can happen. Mm -hmm. Can you think of, and this is a question for you B as well, who is at most risk right now? Meaning Even if you say in the long term, and this argument has been made a lot, especially about the Internet, that the Internet was going to take away jobs. But when you look at the metric of unemployment, unemployment is still very low. And so they look at this long tail metric and say, well, unemployment hasn't shifted that much until people reemployed or gained new skills. True. But the fact of the matter is there was a disruption in the beginning and there was a group of people that suffered in the beginning until they had to readjust. What you're really saying is that people have resilience and that we can readjust and that shouldn't stop innovation because some people are going to fall through the cracks in the, in the short term, but are people going to fall through the cracks? And yes, they are. so who are they? Who are they?
0: You
1: know, whenever, you know, Tam sends me, you know, a, a t- discussion, I, I try to do a little bit of research and, and, By happenstance, I was on Twitter, and I saw, like, uh, someone's post that was, like, from a a Reddit, um, you know, rant or whatever. So I actually checked it out, and it's basically all these people who are actually in industries where they feel like their job is tremendously changed and they're now concerned. And one of the ones that was very interesting to me was actually a 3D modeler for video games. And so this person used to go through the process, you know, determining what they wanted to build, why they wanted to build it, and then would actually spend weeks creating the 3D model that would then be broken down to a 2D version for the actual video game. And it was really interesting because they're actually using mid-journey, so they're not using ChatGPT, but presumably because of ChatGPT and what they're going to, it could be mid-journey, it could could replace mid-journey too, right? And the guy was basically saying, well you know, my manager doesn't care as much as I do about this work. And so all they want me to do is, is to create these prompts and then put it into mid-journey, spit this out, and then convert it into something we can use in video games. There's two of us. I think that one of us is getting fired because, you know, the other person, even though he's not as talented as I am, and in fact, before this, I was always rated higher than him, he's much quicker at putting in the prompts. And so I just thought it was so interesting because at the end of it, the only thing that I thought after that whole like thread was, I can't imagine that that video game is going to be that great, right? As like you know, part of the thing that's so delightful about video games, especially as someone who was like a, a true blurred growing up, is that each one was just so crazy. Like it was just so fundamentally like random what you would see in the next video game, and that happened because a human made the decision. Of you know getting high one weekend I don't know it was just like oh I saw mushrooms that could float and that's why I decided to do mushrooms and so that piece of content is out there and sure mid journey is like you know taking that and learning from it but the thing is mid journey can't get that type of high right so they going still have to wait for that person to come to have that like dynamic crazy thing and the prompt is gonna come up with something that is relatively similar probably to something that already exists. And so, you know, I say all this to say, that content that that person is talking about where they said they're essentially, they, their job is essentially replaced with mid-journey, it will be probably passable. It will probably make some money. But is it going to be something that's game-changing? Is it going to be the next Halo? Is it going to be, you know, let the next Breath of the Wind? I probably think not, right? Because I also don't think that anything that's historically taken months or years to develop because there's so much precision, so much conversation has to come up and there's so many things you have to think about can just be replaced in a few days, right? You can't replace that level of creativity. So all this to say, well, some people lose jobs, absolutely, right? Right? Because that's how it always works. You know, in 2008, when economic downturn happened and lots of people got laid off and then companies figured out that they actually could have people work way more and pay them way less and still have them to operate effectively essentially, then of course they didn't hire people back. There, you know, there was so many less really great paying jobs after 2008. And then it took until, you know, technology took off for great salary to go up again. And right now we're doing the same exact thing again, right? You know, all these people are getting laid off and they're gonna try to use all of this technology as effectively as possible so they don't have to hire people back. But that's not to say that these people have been replaced. Instead, what I'm saying is that there's going to be companies that are going to make economic choices that are going to lead to somewhat more mediocre products because it's not, you know, people who are very thoughtful and delightful who are thinking about the end user aren't going to be there. And it's going to be interesting. And so, again, going back to the point that we have said over and over and over again, that means that a very small percentage of folks are going to be able to really effectively create amazing things. And then the rest of them will just be doing copycats of what these systems have learned from dozens and dozens of years of previous information versus moving 100%. forward.
2: 100%. I agree with you 100%. In every race, it's always like that. There are a couple of winners in the front, and then there's a glut in the middle, and then some stragglers in behind. And that's exactly what you're going to see here. Definitely
0: agree with B as well. Um, just as much as ch- these AI tools replace jobs, there are going to be new jobs created in order to able to use those tools like there's a whole new role generated of like prompt generator for these ai tools as well so as much as we lose we gain and we need to keep that in mind that just says to us as humans that you know get your skill level up you know don't get replaced don't get get complacent um understand that the world is always going to evolve and you either evolve with it or you get left behind Right. There's always going to be the early adopters who understand that, you know, this is a powerhouse tool and I'm going to leverage it and they're going to hit that boom era. They're going to make all that money off of it, just like with the Internet, just like with the computers, just like all those things previously. History always repeats itself. And then there's going to be the latecomers who don't get to benefit as much, um, but that they understand how to use the tool a little bit better. So we just got to decide where do we want to be on that spectrum, the early adopter or the latecomer?
2: Well, I'm going to play a little bit of hypothetical in a second. But I also think that in the short term, um, the piggyback of something be said is that what I believe is going to happen, you're talking about that example of this prompt engineer with this mid-journey is you're going to see that the expected level of output is going to increase because the hypothesis from leaders is going to be, well, now that you have this tool, you should be able to do this much. And so to that point, there's going to be a lot of mediocre products coming out because there's going to be this delusion into thinking we can create at X speed now. To some extent, you're right, but there there is some value to good ideas being um incubated versus just any idea. So you're probably having a lot of mediocre stuff come out on the market and a lot of expectations for workers to output even more. And it's going to be an interesting play into employee and company dynamics, I think, um, given what the economy is doing as well. I do want to play a hypothetical because I do believe before I got into tech, I was in the music business and the music business has been decimated by technology. Let's just say that the time that I made that pivot, uh, you know, it was hindsight looking back. It was an intuition at the point at that time. I didn't have the language for it. But um, I was on my way to law school, entertainment law, and I was fortunately for me in an MBA program and I was understanding a lot of disruptive tech. And at that time, iTunes was out disrupting the music business. iTunes single-handedly changed the way the music business operates, Because of the 360 deal, the way they broke up the album and made it legal to purchase a single instead of an entire album. Give you some context. If you were a songwriter that had a deep album cut on a Whitney Houston album in the 90s that never made the radio, you were still a millionaire, right? Because of the way the music business ran is you as a fan bought an entire album. And so even though you as a songwriter never had a song on the radio, you were still a millionaire, Whereas today, you could have the number one streaming song on Spotify in the billions of views and hardly see anything. So technology has absolutely changed the music business. Now we're getting into generative AI. And we have the ability to take someone who has no music theory, cannot play a single instrument, hum a little medley into the computer, and it will play whatever instrument you tell it to play. And so the idea of having session musicians and people who go to school, this idea of, you know, you could be Juilliard trained and playing the cello, but all I got to do is come up with a medley. I don't even need to do that. There's an AI generator that's going to give me progressions, the most popular progressions. I can do all of that and single-handedly create an album if I wanted to.
0: Yeah. To your point, just yesterday I saw a TikTok of this guy who wrote some lyrics for a rap song, and he used Kanye West's voice to create the song. And it sounded exactly like Kanye West. And this is insane. And then people in the chat are like, well, I can create an album easily (laughs) and steal someone's voice. I'm like, oh no, this is going in the wrong direction.
1: Yeah. You know, it's so interesting because, okay, so, there's 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 a couple things there. one using someone else's voice is crazy. But I mean I think I sent this to you, Tam, because I was like, I was reading a Twitter or whatever. I was again Twitter, I'd just be on Twitter, just be like, what is on there? And it was like some it was like actually a, a major Hollywood starlet. They put her in a porn, right? They literally put her face in a porn, made her sound like this and everything. And the first thing I thought is not oh this is completely disgusting well no i I thought that of course obviously but the first thing i really thought was people going to have to start branding they're going to have to trademark and copyright their image and it's going to become illegal for you to like literally news this is actually probably going to hurt media companies more than anything else because you're not even going to be able to post someone's picture without determining whether you actually have legal right to post their picture and in fact i think it's going to ultimately hurt some of these ai training programs because then you're like, okay, well, we can't use any of these images that we've been using of XYZ person because they've now copyrighted their image. And so the thing is, is bad actors are probably going to make AI slow down its process and evolution because people are going to come in and say, you can't use my voice. You can't use my you know, my art. You can't use who I am because that's what it really is. You can't use who I am you know, to, to profit off of me without actually ensuring I'm compensated. And so it's actually going to be very fascinating to me as these legal cases come, because I'm going to be truthful. As soon as I saw Homegirl's picture, I said, I hope she sued the heck out of these people. Like, I hope she destroys this company because it's just unethical. Right. And, and I think that's what's interesting also about Apple, because, you know, Apple made a big to do about like they, sl- they decided to slow down their AI process because they were concerned about, you know, the execution and the ethical implications. And the thing is, it's like that's the difference between people who are some of the best creators in the world at other people they they are they're playing with you know the house money and so they know like we can actually take our time and make sure that we do it right so that we don't have any backlash against our product you know versus you know uh, for every person who loves chat dpt i've seen at least one or two other articles where it says hey by the way i am super 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 disturbed Right. That, you know, when I went to, you know, Bing, which, by the way, I downloaded Bing, too. And I was so surprised how that is. But there's like I went to Bing and it said something scary and I didn't like it and I'm never going to use this again. Right. And so, you know, there is something to say about, you know, what does it look like to create a product that people are comfortable with? Right, because I think that's something that's interesting. I also got uh, access this morning to Bard, so I will also be able to tell you later this week, Tam, whether I think Bard is sketchy. But the whole point okay. again is just this simply: this isn't this isn't uh, a free for all, and I think that people think it is. They think they think it's just going to be like upward, like upward trajectory. Everyone's going to okay. adopt it. But again, for every great use case you see, there's another use case where you're just like that's going to cause a problem.
2: I appreciate the companies like Google. And I put Google, you know, this is the innovator's dilemma that they're going through right now. Should Google release Bard and compete with OpenAI and Microsoft to, to maintain their stake? But it was wise of them and Apple as well to take a pause and say, this is very powerful technology. And what are the real applicable use cases that are necessary for this technology to exist? Versus, should we hold on to it? Like, what is the value of a deep fake? Deep fakes are ri- originally probably generated for some Hollywood type of effect. Hollywood has an insatiable need to spend a lot of money on things, and this is some technology that helps them in that way. And now it's available for public use. And on the one hand, should this t- technology exist and who should it exist for is part of it right? Like their, Adobe just released um, Firefly, which is their version of Mid Journey and Dolly. So the same kind of generator. And the way that they're billing it is very practical use cases. You could be a marketer and you want to create a product page. And this is very inane type of things. Put a pair of headphones on a blue background, right? The ability for you to be able to create product images that are helpful for your business is also the same technology that is used to create porn with someone else's image. You know what I mean? Like, It's the same thing. It can be good and bad. Who gets to use it?
0: I think it's worth noting that we touch a little bit more on like what's at stake with these new AI-generated tools. Um, You made a lot of great points, and um, what you said earlier, Tam, we were talking about music industry, it made me instantly think about Napster, when that was like the first music piracy platform where people were just stealing. (laughs) <laughs> the music and it was getting out of hand and there was lawsuits after lawsuits after lawsuits and then it slowed down and it evolved it, it evolved into streaming services so now that's why there's spotify that's why there's apple music there's, that's why there's all these other streaming services out here right. and i believe the same thing will happen with gpt and all the other things that are coming out that it's going to slow down from all the lawsuits and that is generally how like laws and regulations are put into place when they start saying, wait a minute, (laughs) I didn't know this was a use case. So now we need to really put a microscope to this and figure out, is this threatening, whatever that piece of thing that is threatening for um, the growth, the development, the advancement of technology, humanity, all these things are being threatened. Um, But I also feel like, uh, consumerism has a big part to play in this, and profit for these large companies—they're going to fight hard if it's really lining their pockets. And so, we're—I feel like we're going to see a lot more stuff in the media when it comes to like people fighting back um, on some of the content that's being stolen from them. Like original content is being plagiarized. Um, piracy is big. Intellectual property—what's that? <laughs> yeah, GPT doesn't care about intellectual property, um, yeah. and so all these things are going to be put underneath the microscope. And we have a part to play in it as well, because like when we think about scraping data from the web, this is not new. Like we know that this happens; it's just how it's being done now. It's a lot different from in the past. And SEO, search engine optimization, was has a big part to play in that in the content modeling for these AI programs. And we were told repeatedly that content is king for like in the marketing world. Uh, And so what did we do? We created and we posted, Uh, we created, we started a blog Uh, there. I'm sure there's a lot of people who had a MySpace account a WordPress account and they were blogging their, their life out online. And then, you know, we'd start newsletters and now even more relevant social media. We're constantly putting our life up there and you know, how we speak and all that. AI is taking all of that. And creating content for other people. So now we are also part of the problem. Like we help them have this content on the web. So now what? Now now where are we left? You know, we help train these AIs. That sucks. That's a we, feeling to be a part of that. We created
2: that.
1: You know what's so interesting? So in Chicago, um, In like 2014 or 2015, the gun laws changed. And so you could actually do concealed carry in in Chicago. And then over a course of a week, virtually every building would put up these little signs that said no gun. Right. And the whole idea was that that made made it illegal for you to walk into that space with a gun, regardless of whether you actually care. But it made it illegal, which meant that they could actually penalize you. And, you know, I feel like, you know, just similarly where on every website we say copyright, you know, XYZ person, I feel like all of a sudden there's going to be a law that says if you put copyright and do not take my content, those people have to take that out of their, like, learning. I don't know. But I think stuff like that's going to happen. So what's going to happen is is that people are either going to shut down some of their content and say, I don't want it out there. Right, I just don't want it to be out there. I'm not going to play on certain types of platforms. I mean, think about like GitHub and all these other places. They're completely free and they're open source. All of a sudden, why wouldn't people take everything off of that? Like, right? especially if you find out that your particular, you know, open source code is one of the the most strategic points that one of these AI systems have used. Take it off, put it behind a paywall, and say, "Pay me for this." And so, I think what will be very interesting is, is on one hand. You know, everyone is worried about how this is going to take people's jobs. I think there's actually a likelihood that it's actually going to create really great economic models for people who are truly creative, right? Because it's like, well... You need my stuff here, right? You need me to actually make your thing work. So go ahead and run me my million dollars. Go ahead and run me my millions of dollars, right? And I think that's the other thing about it. And I think this is actually one of the things that I've, I've actually always struggled with. One of the, one, when I first started doing consulting, I actually didn't do it for lots of tech people. What happened is, is I was a business type person and I had all these like creative friends and people who just didn't have the skill set that I had to monetize their idea. And so they would come to me and say, hey, B, can you help me monetize? And I think it's going to be funny because I feel like someone's going to go chat to chat DBT and say, my art was stolen. How can I make sure that I make money off of this? And they're going to be like, oh, wait, that's all I have to do? Okay, let me go ahead and do that. And so I think we actually might make better business people out of creatives because of this process. Because I feel like it's the first time that universally almost all these creatives actually agree. Right. Mm -hmm. And by the way, when I say creative, I'm not just talking about artists or copywriter or or actors or singers. I literally do also mean engineers. Mm -hmm. Right. Because that is a creation that you have here. And And so, like you know, people people used to be so cool with like doing it because you knew you were building up to something. But as soon as you add in, but you're going to make millions or billions of dollars off of my idea and I don't get a cent. You're creating a completely, you know, combative system that I think that none of these AI companies are actually ready for.
2: So I, I have one counterpoint to that, but I agree on the broader arcs of it. Like one thing you said, Neil is that probably this discourse, this public discourse and the lawsuits are going to tamper the impact that, that AI could have. I think some bad will happen before some good. But I also believe you'd be when you're saying that um, there's an opportunity to kind of band together. In terms of, you know, don't train your models on our work. That's almost an impossibility, right? Because you could say the same thing about TikTok and all these social media platforms. Don't use my data. Well, do you want to share your information with the world? That's kind of the trade-off that people are making by going on social media, that that platform will use your data. There is that case that still gets to be made where Adobe is saying in its terms of use, hey, you can use Photoshop. But we also get to train our, our, our data on it. That's a very hard thing to extract yourself from. It's almost a leverage game. But I do think that there is an opportunity in this discourse for artists to say, fine, you can train your model on it, but you cannot invoke my, my work in, in someone's work. Meaning the way that people are using prompts and saying in the style of Picasso, maybe not Picasso, but a recent artist, do you know, create this picture in the style of. If there was a way for artists to say, I want my name blacklisted do not allow my name to be used to invoke some kind of drawing. I think that that's probably the best that the artistic community can hope for. Because one thing I would argue to them is that, you know, this is copying at scale. Everybody who goes and gets a fine arts degree is a copycat of some technique that they learned from some artist who invented it, who learned it from somewhere else. We're all copying each other in some way. And and what AI has just allowed anybody to do is to copy at scale and took away what talent was, that even though, yes, I could look at your work and, and copy it you know, line by line, it was my talent that, that was the difference between whether it was a good copycat or not. And AI is just a little too perfect for you to judge what it's talent in that way. The other end, to B's point about the sign up on the wall, like don't bring your guns in here, there was an explosion of AI generated books being submitted to Kindle. Did you guys ever hear about this? That a bunch of people were writing books overnight and submitting this AI generated work to to Kindle on a platform, and that, and even Substack like, or something like that, and they started rejecting these types of works. And so maybe that's a way of, to your point about this sign on the door that you can't bring your gun in here, is a way that we're going to tamper the proliferation of AI work.
0: Yeah, I did hear uh, about that in particular of, of an author. He. I don't know if I can call him an author, but he did a picture book uh, for children, children's book, and he put it up on Kindle and, and Amazon, and it got taken down because the, I think an artist saw that their image was being used in that picture book, and then they reported it to Amazon. So it had to be taken down, but it didn't get taken down everywhere. Like it's still up in Walmart and all these other book places are sold and so now that's the battle for artists. Like, yeah, you may win here, but then you're going to have to fight all these other spots to get your stuff taken down. Um, it was, it was the pretty power bad. power
2: of the internet. That's, that's, there's yeah. a tool for that. Someone can build a tool that scans the internet for any copycats and it's an automatic takedown. Someone did that for YouTube. When artists were saying your music is improperly used, that someone, this is a business opportunity. Someone created a tool that would take your music and scan the internet and find any copies of it and let you know so that you can automatically submit a takedown notice and so maybe that's the new opportunity there goes a free idea not from ChatGPT, by the way <laughs> but there's yeah. an idea for somebody to go help these copyright owners maintain their copyrights all right t where can we find you uh, where do you want to be found what are you working on whatever you want to share
0: yeah you can find me on linkedin i'm not usually on all these social platforms like i used to be in the past i kind of I'm holding my licensing of like my work and I'm only, I'm being very specific on where I want to be. Uh, so you can find my LinkedIn full name, Tineo Cooper. I'm usually posting pretty frequently on there. Um, on the side with my copywriting, I'm actually, I actually created a tool that I'm kind of in, it's in beta mode right now to, a tool that whips out about 12 times more content for social media minutes using GPT. This is primarily for those folks who don't, want to learn another tool, but want to still leverage it, because I know those folks are out there. I work with them a lot of the times where they have a hard time coming up with content and putting their, their work out there. And I want them to be able to leverage the tools that are available to them. So I created this tool in mine. I call it Social Fuel. still in Betamo. I'm testing it out with a few of my clients. And yeah, I'm going to put that on the market soon.
2: Good. Congratulations. And let me know. I, will, I might want to test it out. Okay. And also, ChatGPT has an
1: app store now, so you can just throw her straight up in there. (laughs) She logged into my ChatGPT this morning because I wanted to figure out exactly how I get to it. But it looked like it was just like a bunch of different apps that you and I use that now are available in their app store. And it didn't seem like a single one of them cost money yet, which it doesn't surprise me, right? Because chances are this also is probably a premium feature. And so, again, I, I pay for ChatGPT because I wanted to see. And actually, my household, we've decided that we're just going to have like a business account because we just want to see how we're going to use it. But, you know, it's just one of those things that I was trying to figure out how they're going to monetize. And I think this might be one. So they're going to add in these additional features for premium users. So.
2: I'm absolutely looking at all of these moves that they're making. From a product strategist perspective, I it's, it's an interesting race that's going on. Uh, I can't wait to see what they do and how people leverage it in creative ways to make products. You know what I'm saying? Let me leave with this. The brilliance of Steve Jobs and the iPhone was the App Store. Is, that is what I call innovation, that it made millionaires out of it. It made things possible that wasn't possible before. What was an app developer to you 20 years ago? You know what I'm saying? That this was a platform that allowed anybody to create an idea, bring it out to the market via this app phone and become billionaires in some instances. Whoever created TikTok, Twitter is a completely mobile solution, right? There's no physical aspect to a lot of these companies. And I feel like ChatGPT is the next thing, not ChatGPT, I'm sorry, GPT and this type of technology, generative AI is the next, to be's Point, app store. It's your conduit to the next big idea. So Oh, this is exciting times, guys. What a time to be alive, as they say on the internet.
1: (laughs) What a time. Thank you so much for listening to The Drops Podcast. We love having you. We love your feedback. Please do connect with us across social media. We are The Drops Podcast on Facebook, Twitter, and TikTok. And we also have a great email, thedropspodcast at gmail.com. You can send in any questions that you have, and we definitely would love to answer them on the podcast. Feel free to ask Just about anything because we have experienced a ton of different things. Again, thank you so much for listening to the Drops Podcast.